Today is February 9th, 2016, and this is episode 148 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Kellett. Hey, Jerry. How are you, sir? I am super. How are you? Good. It's very odd. We're recording on a Tuesday. I know. It's craziness. I've been very busy, so it's my fault. It's all me. Well, we we both got a lot going on, you know. Things yeah. things are moving and shaking. That's right. Our plans for world domination are well underway. It's true. It's true. We're, we're now at a point where random people write blog posts rebutting things we said on some random episode that we can't remember what we said. <laughs> so yeah. they they may be right. We could have been wrong. We don't remember. That that's very true. This is the problem of hosting a show when you have Alzheimer's. You just, I, yeah, I might have said that. Sure, why not? Sounds like something I would have said. I will have people. It is an odd thing. I'll have people hit me up on Twitter, and they'll they'll uh, they'll ask me something about what I talked about in the last episode. I'm like, I don't even remember. Can you <laughs> can you tell me what it was about? <laughs> I'm terrible about that. Well, people think we do all this preparation work and actually, you know, plan to say things and write it down. This is ad lib, baby. So, so anyway, yeah. before we go any further and dig ourselves into a hole any deeper, the uh, just a reminder, the thoughts and opinions we express on the show are ours and do not represent those of our employer. Past, present, or future. That's right. And also, before we get in too far, I want to remind everybody about Hack in the Box in Amsterdam. It is uh, coming up in May. And by the way, the call for papers is uh, times out on the 14th, which I believe is Valentine's Day. Coincidence? Probably not. Do they have Valentine's Day in Amsterdam? I don't know. Hard to say. We'll have to ask our our, our friend. So anyway, uh, Hack in the Box, Amsterdam, May 23rd through 27th. In, uh, in beautiful Amsterdam. I'm sure Amsterdam's lovely at that time of year. If you are interested in going over there or in the area. Or if you're already there. Yeah. U.S.-centric. Duh. I was thinking Jeez. about people in Australia. We got, what are you talking we got about? fans everywhere. At least, at least three countries. <laughs> That's right. So anyhow, um, the site there is a conference.hitb.org. So look them up and... Have fun. By the way, the the schedule looks really great. What they have posted so far. So. And hey, there's a discount code. That's right, ten percent off for using the uh, discount code Defensive Security when you check out. That's true. And, and by the way, that's like a free shill. We're we're not getting anything. That's so. true. Anybody else we want to do a free shill for? Uh, yeah. Well, Circle City Con is coming up. I think their call for papers also is uh, ends on. Valentine's Day. I don't have the dates in front of me, but you can go to circlecity.com. Where is Circle City Con? Uh, in Indianapolis, Indiana. Oh, we named a dog Indiana. Okay, then. 
really gonna be that kind of show <laughs> isn't it always yeah, yeah. Uh, so you know I, I, I just a quick aside I, I moved into a more enterprise vulnerability management focused role and and at my current employer and so my day job has been very much about vulnerability scanning and while there's a lot of nuance I'm finding in that role so I might I might have to rant on that in a further show but I've got to make sure that I appropriately abstract it away from anything that would be sensitive to my current job but so what you're saying is you check a lot of ports <laughs> I do um Nice. But, you know, like anything, like any tool that you use in your environment, uh, it it's all about how you build it out. And, and there's a lot of detail involved in it. Uh, the other thing I'm finding is the metrics that you choose to report are just like the old joke. You know, there are three kind of lies, lies, damn lies, and statistics, and then we can add metrics. You can tell a thousand different stories with the same bit of data, depending on how you slice and dice it. Oh, absolutely. It's it's it is a crazy crazy thing how as different metrics bubble up and get abstracted and and go to different layers of management and and people take a look at it from different angles how they come to wildly varied conclusion different conclusions about the same bit of data. Absolutely. And, and what I'm finding is that when you have people who don't truly know the technology very deeply as with a lot of auditors or or you know folks who aren't you know technologists when they come and ask for a specific metric that's usually a sign of danger it usually means they're driving at something and what i would urge everyone to do is say what is it exactly you're trying to find out and perhaps propose a more accurate set of metrics to get to whatever story it is they're trying to discover well, that's good advice. I, I do think it's important uh, because most organizations, at least more larger organizations, struggle with the the whole metrics uh, yeah. issue. And and it you know honestly, you really have to you got to be careful, right? Because you can tell inaccurate or you know either in a good way or in a bad way. <laughs> story with, yeah. with your metrics and you, you you really have to what i found is trying to put some context around the metrics but but you know as, as you're i'm sure well aware a lot of times that context gets stripped off and yep as know. things get summarized and put on powerpoints and and everybody means well don't get nobody's malicious or or they just they have different lenses they're looking through and so often they don't necessarily understand the nuance behind how a specific bit of data is derived. And so they come in looking for a very specific bit of data. I, I really want to politely and respectfully and professionally challenge the specific question they're asking and drive into what is the question behind the question? What are you really trying to, to understand and what are you trying to judge here? And perhaps I can present them with a more coherent metric that is more valid to whatever it is they're asking. However, that's a really complex thing, and it's really tough when you've got four layers of, uh, you know, abstraction as people report this upstream. Yeah. Yeah, I think we can, I think many of us in the business can relate to that and live it every day, so. But I'm finding how you choose to tell your story with your metrics uh, can make or break a program. 
Yeah, I agree. And, you know, one, I will tell you, I don't know what your situation is, and I'm not sure we want to talk about that, but one of the things that always frustrates me a lot is when we lose the context, and this is to some extent gets to the heart of what you're saying, we lose the context of why we want the metric in the first place, and a lot of times metrics become produced for metrics sake and, and right. you know I, I would recommend anybody who is in a position to have to develop a metrics program to to do some research into the the, the reasons and this is a pretty well-worn path obviously sure. IT security is you know not not that mature but the concept of metrics are are, are pretty well-worn territory my view is you know, metrics don't make sense if they're not going to drive behavior change, right? It, you, having a metric that tells you how many spam emails you got is freaking pointless. Well, and ultimately, once we start measuring metrics and reporting on metrics, we start being judged against those metrics, and that drives behavior. Right. So be very careful what you choose to be judged against. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'll give you an example, and then we can move on to the stories. Let's say you run the Enterprise Vulnerability Management Program, which you know, you're know you doing the scanning. Do you want to be judged on remediation rates, which you may not control? That may be your IT organization. Or do you want to be judged on accurate scanning rates? Right? You know, at a, at a very senior level, what they really care about is finding and fixing uh, vulnerabilities in a timely manner. But if you hold your EVM program accountable to remediation when they don't control it, they have no responsibility over that. What exactly are you driving? What behavior are you driving? You want your EVM guys out there harassing the IT guys to fix stuff? Or do you want their leadership judging them on that and you in the EVM program being judged on how well you're scanning and reporting and escalating? Yeah, you know, I suspect the answer to that is going to be somewhat situational because mm-hmm. I can envision organizations, and I, you know, I've seen some that do this, right? Where um, the expectation is, yeah, they will chase. You know, the the vulnerability management team is responsible for chasing after the server server owners, and I don't think it's the most efficient model uh, because now and. I mean, uh, we could talk about this for a while, and it's you know, complete aside that I just kind of sprung on you, but it's. Uh, Whatever. It's been an interesting world as I've gotten my my arms around enterprise vulnerability management. Well, so uh, so let's get into our stories. And Indeed. The first one is a is a follow up to a story we talked about last week, and this is the uh, the ongoing saga of Norse. And the, the story here comes from the Register, and the title is "Fired Norse CEO Blames." the media um, and, and uh, I'll, I'll just kind of recap uh, the the deal was last week uh, I don't remember exactly the day Brian Krebs released an article on his website kind of an expose about the imploding Norse and uh, it was you know it was quite a detailed article had history um, of some apparently shady deals, uh, in, interviewed employees who had, who were clearly not very happy with the company, or I should say former employees, because 
uh, Norris had just gone through a 30% headcount reduction a little bit ago. And, uh, and interestingly, shortly after, or almost, I guess, simultaneous with that blog post coming out, Norse went dark. You know, their website was offline, actually, that whole weekend. I think, it, if memory serves, the article came out like a Friday night, and their website wasn't back up until maybe Sunday evening, something like that. So, Yeah, there was definitely some interesting timing there. I, I don't... I don't know exactly what the timing was. Krabs had clearly been working on that article for a long time. He reached out to a lot of people. Uh, and I think that that timing might have been somewhat coincidental, but that's not what yeah. the sources at Norse say. Right. But there was a ton of rumors swirling last weekend about what was going on with Norse and fire sales to various companies and uh, – you know, customers with no idea what's going on with their feeds, just everything, just immediate, you know, massive uh, confusion. And, you know, I, I don't, I can't think of another company in our space who's had that sort of just going dark like that. Very weird. Yeah, it was. And, and part of the, uh, part of the announcement or part of the, the Krebs article was that the CEO, uh, this, this person named Sam, I think it's, pronounced glines or gleans uh was apparently fired or let go or left it's not entirely clear uh fairly abruptly and well jerry he wanted to spend more time with his family of course (laughs) well that's true yeah yeah that's the only reason any executive ever leaves a company right or perhaps health reasons and it sounds really sounds an awful lot like you know we we value your data and we, we Absolutely. We take the we take this concern very seriously. That's right. So uh so anyhow, uh the you know, the Krebs article was I would say pretty salacious, a little harsh. Um, you know, basically laid out what appeared to be quite a lot of um I guess I'll call them facts. I you know. Um the, I will tell you the comments on that article are probably more interesting than the article itself. And I would encourage everybody to go read them because they are fascinating. And, uh, you know, basically there are some people who clearly work for Norse or worked for Norse uh, arguing with people. And so there's bickering back and forth about, you know, you're a shill. No, you're trying to take down the company. And, and uh, it's just fascinating. So anyway, uh, the the new news is that the former CEO released a statement, basically calling um, I'm going to paraphrase here the the Krebs article a hatchet job, uh, effectively saying that Krebs had some kind of axe to grind and and he was interviewing employees former employees who had an axe to grind and you know it, none of it was true and it was all a horrible misunderstanding I guess um, except it's really interesting when you read the rebuttal. It, you know, it's it's pretty terse, but he doesn't really rebut anything. <laughs> he seems he seems to rebut things that weren't claimed, and that was what I find very interesting. And so I don't really know what the hell happened here, but <laughs> this story is crazy. It is. Well, I, the current status as of, uh, you know, they just put out a press release literally an hour before we went to air here about the new CEO uh, and the new reconstituted board. So clearly Norris is still a going concern of some variety. Something's going forward. 
Uh, but we heard rumors, uh, I think it was reported in Craig, Krebs' article, that the basically the, the, the VCs or the finance folks are telling folks, you may not get a paycheck if you show up at work. Right. So clearly some funding, I mean, if they ran out of money, some money has been found. I don't know if this is just a stand-up to do a fire sale or if they're going to continue operating or what, but uh, craziness. But, uh, yeah, the rebuttal from um, Sam Glines is, is pretty epic. And, you know, one of the things that he does here is basically call it Krebs as saying, you know, you, very influential, very trusted. Once his article published, everything fell apart, uh, you know, and, you know, this employee who, who was extensively quoted, who said that she was a senior scientist and never got access to the data, he disparages her role and says she doesn't know anything. She was a low-level employee. She was never in the office. And, you know, this is just vicious ex-employees. I got to be honest. The one thing I say to all this is if you can be taken down by an ex-employee's quotes and a blogger, you've got some serious structural challenges with your company. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty clear. There were some structural issues there and actually, you know, it's, it's very difficult to tell. This is like, turn feels like it's turning into a, you know, an entertainment news story, you know, but, um, if you read the article, if you read, if you read, um, Mr. Glein's response, he does make some points that make sense. Like, you know, they were burning money, too fast and they made some bad decisions they didn't get products out in time they uh they weren't selling as aggressively as they thought they would and they had to put the brakes on and they had to put put them on pretty hard and that resulted in the big layoff in january and you know what that happens right that's that's business yeah we've been through that yeah It, it it sucks but that is Sometimes what executives need to do for the sake of the investors, the rest of the employees, and ongoing, you know, concern that that it's harsh, but it sometimes that's what you have to do. Right, right. But what what's not very clear is what happened, you know, after that. And now, you know, I, th- I think the writing on the wall is that you know may- maybe uh, uh, there was, especially given the, the the press release that just came out, it wasn't just the CEO that was replaced. It was also a large part of the board of directors, and and so it, it kind of seems to me like um, you know maybe some of the venture the VC fund funding uh, sources you know, basically said, look, it you know you've had enough, you've had enough rope, you hung yourself, and uh, now it's time for us to come in and and clean up the mess, and that that's kind yeah. of the that's kind of what I'm. I'm inferring out of the story and all of this rest, the rest of this stuff is, you know, interesting fluff. And I'm sure, look, I don't know anything about their, how they collect data or if it's good data or bad data. I know there's a lot, it's been the butt of jokes for a long time, whatever, you know, I, I, I think they were selling stuff and people did, some people did value it and you can't deny that. They, they employed a lot of smart people. Can't deny that. And uh, you know, it sounds like they've got a new management team, and and maybe they'll uh, you know right the ship. I I don't know. It doesn't seem like we've heard the last of them, but it could also be just uh, an attempt at an exit. I guess. Yeah. Who knows? It's it's worth watching. I think it's it's 
it's an important story because it's telling about the threat intelligence industry and whether or not, to a certain extent, this is a, a microcosm of whether or not that's a valid industry. Uh, you know, certainly any one vendor failing doesn't indict a whole industry, but Norris was one of the best known, is the best known, didn't, uh, rightly or wrongly, an excellent job at marketing. You know, they were well known and got that eye candy map out to a lot of people. So we'll see. You know, the other thing that I don't know if we mentioned last week, but you, you were talking earlier about the comments on the original Krebs story. Um, Jason Balick and Krebs went back and forth at it um, uh, really harsh in, in, in the comment section. Jason is a former chief architect and one of the first engineering employees at Norris. Uh, and he was also let go during the mass layoff. But he had a lot of things critical to say about Krebs' article. And it's, it's really interesting watching all this go down uh, back and forth. And who knows? Maybe the truth is someplace in, in the middle or – Hard to say. It's hard to say. We'll yeah. probably never know <laughs> what what really happened, but it is uh, it is an interesting. It, it you know it's interesting to see that w- the infosec industry is not, um, you know, it, it's not special in as much as we're you know the companies in our industry are held to the you know are are, are victim to the same uh, issues and 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 business problems than any other businesses and and i think we lose that context because we don't see this often yeah you know we, we do yeah. see a lot of consolidation and 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 whatnot but we don't you don't often see a company just flame out like that especially a, a well-recognized one no i mean i've been involved in a lot of startups and they usually find a graceful exit right and if i had to make a bet if i had to call where North was going my gut without any insider information is they found some money to keep going just to, to get back up an operation put some lipstick on the pig and probably uh, make an exit to another corporation they're probably going to to combine with somebody this well, is my bet and you know to to be to be candid uh, i know Threat intelligence is is a big hotness right now, but I'm not sure in the long run that any of these threat intelligence companies, at least the pure play ones, are are going to be independent. Right? It's it just doesn't to me it doesn't feel like yeah. something that's um, you know that that warrants its own larger company. So anyway, we'll see. You know, that's just my what the hell do I know? I'm a garbage man. I mean, I don't even know about this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know we. We're just arm, you know, armchair quarterback in it. That's right. But anyway, it's 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 interesting to watch, and perhaps we'll learn something from it. That's right. All right. So uh, moving on to our next story, and this one comes from the Dell Secure Works uh, blog, and the title is "Ransomware Used as a Distraction." And you know, this is a. It, Boy, I, I'm of two minds of this article. On the one hand, it's really interesting uh, the, the conclusion they came to, or um, that the title basically. Let me let me take a step back. The issue I have with this article is that the title is based on a hypothesis that's given a one sentence mention at the very end of the article. I was trying to figure out if I couldn't find page two of the article. <laughs> So, um, 
So let me uh, just just in here's the deal, right? So Dell SecureWorks has a team of you know incident response people, much like our friend Bob, and uh, they responded to an organization that had a an outbreak of some kind, and they found that it was a a piece of crypto malware, crypto ransomware, that had been uh, uh, you know, somehow implanted on their domain controllers. And the it's not very clear to me how it came to be, but there was a, a GPO, a global policy, created to push out a scheduled task to all of the domain, you know, the, the attached endpoints to effectively install and run this ransomware. And uh, in, in this particular case, they said that somebody, which makes me think that this is probably a manual thing, uh, flubbed something in the scheduled job, and so it didn't actually install right. Uh, but the, their hypothesis was that this ransomware was actually a smoke, or was intended to be a smokescreen for some bigger attack. And it's not very clear how they came to that conclusion, but I thought the I thought the concept was really fascinating because you know we've talked in the past about DDoS attacks being used as smokescreens for, you know, particularly against banks. You know things like uh, fraud and and whatnot, and, uh, and and so this is an interesting, a very interesting case because you can think that if somebody were successful in pushing out ransomware to all of an organization's workstations, you know their IT staff and their and their uh, infosec staff would be pretty busy, and and probably not have the bandwidth to you know to, to probably be paying attention to what's happening on uh, on their infrastructure. Yeah, it, it it's an extension of where we've seen DDoS as being used as a distraction technique. But like we said to begin with, I don't see any support for their allegation at all in the article. N- there is kept expecting more. Yeah, it does seem to be missing a page too. I, I agree. I, I didn't know if I sort of I, – I literally – grabbed a different browser and loaded it up in case something was screwed up in my primary browser because I couldn't quite see the connection. In fact, there's even a, a, a an image that's not loading correctly. So I actually was wondering if something's messed up with this blog article because they don't explain why they think this might have been a distraction technique. Something is messed up with this blog article, but it's not the formatting. Now, Let's, you know, take this at face value, and actually, it's an interesting tactic, and it's a viable tactic, and it's something we've often talked about in terms of DDoS, is be careful not to commit all of your incident response forces, right, <laughs> that to something like a DDoS attack, because we have seen it used as a technique to distract the IT security team from something else going on. Right. So we can see that here. However, we don't see evidence of this here. The other thing that's interesting about this particular write-up is that there was a typo in one of the key files that prevented this from doing as much damage as it could have done. So what we're learning is if you're a bad guy, you've got to go through quality checks. Uh, Exactly. Exactly. You've got to get that QA team on board. it, it's it's really disappointing to see that, that 
you know, the, the bad guys just aren't taking pride in their work anymore. Well, I, you know, I don't busy. know what to say. I don't know they're what busy. to say. They got a lot going on. It's very disappointing. So anyway, yeah. I, I, and the, the concept, the concept of of ransomware as a distraction was novel to me, and that was what I wanted to talk about. And this yeah. was, you know, the vehicle to talk about it. So, though apparently you come up with ransomware ideas that scare the hell out of Infosec <laughs> Taylor Swift. <laughs> yes, that's true. She put out a hit on you. That is true. Yeah, I was. Uh, so she asked for someone to uh, come and take me out while I sleep. So. Oh well. So uh so moving on to our next story. This one comes from ZDNet and the title is Most Windows Security Flaws Mitigated by Removing Admin Rights. And we talk is about this, this every story we've covered like six times. Every year they put out a new yeah. one. And every year my thought changes a little bit on this topic. And so it's a it's an interesting again, it's an interesting platform to bring up a, a discussion. So, you know, the 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 story is that eighty six percent of critical Windows vulnerabilities are mitigated if you remove admin rights, and fourteen percent aren't. And um, of course, the company who produces the report will help you remove admin rights. Uh, you know, co- coincidentally, just c- completely coincidental. Are, are you sure? I mean, that seems so. I know. Character. I know. It's it's weird. I. It's weird. However, it, it they're not wrong. Well, they're not just wrong. But here's the but here's just because they're finally financially motivated, they're not wrong. They're no, and I, I and I think I do think that it, it, it intuitively it seems right. However, I want to point out that there's a difference between mitigating critical Windows vulnerabilities and mitigating the ways in which you're going to get owned. Because those two aren't really necessarily the same thing. And and so I have had the grand pleasure of working on I don't know how many major incidents uh, that started on a fleet of systems that where the users didn't have admin rights. And, you know, that's... But that, that doesn't mean that... Okay. It doesn't mean that taking away admin rights doesn't make it just that much harder. Uh, I agree with that. I agree with that. Right. It, like, it, we're j- you're just making it easier for the bad guys if they if they, you know, own a box and the user space is already an an admin. That, the absolutely right. No, no question there. I guess my my point is I think it's it's just a little bit. Uh, and it kind of goes back to the way in which people interpret things, right? And so, if you are, if you're reading this, you you think, well, eighty six percent of the ways that we're going to get, you know, the critical things that people are going to attack us with, are mitigated by removing admin rights. And I, and I don't know what the real number is, but it's not eighty six percent. That's my point. Well, what do you mean? In other words, this is too black and white. You're saying yes. That- Exactly. Even so, even if you didn't have admin rights, and these exploits landed, they would be less severe. But that doesn't end the potential exploitation because there's a way to pivot and do right various escalation techniques and that sort of thing. And, and there aren't, you know, let's face it, 
when when we talk about things that end up getting us compromised, it isn't all that common for it to actually be a vulnerability on your workstation with the Windows operating system. I should, let me <laughs> let me caveat that, right? You know, things like Flash and Java, and yeah, yeah absolutely. And uh, but even that, even those may or may not be mitigated depending on the ecosystem in which you know how sophisticated the adversary is that you're you're tripping on and and, that, sure. and that's the point right um i'm not but saying we, that we we could also play the game of well it wouldn't stop the nsa so it's not worth doing right it's about raising the bar it's about making it a little tougher yes and and to me this is actually a problem in staffing the IT organization. Yes, absolutely right. I think the reason so many people have admin rights is because they have needs and and stuff to do, uh, something that's outside the normal bounds of whatever was pre-built on the operating system and the image that was given to them. And if they didn't have admin rights, it would go to help desk or whomever and say, hey, can you install this application or patch this application and do this? And the reality is that most organizations don't staff well enough and large enough to be responsive to those needs in a business timeline. That's right. And, I, I, you know, so since I've, you know, I've, I've kicked sand in Avecto's face, I will, I will go on to say the, the product they manufacture, and I've actually had a chance to look at it, and I'm, they, you know, I have no allegiance to them whatsoever. Um, this is a, that is something that they help out with, and I don't think they're the only ones, right? So sure. there are there are tools out there that will help you, and it doesn't it you know if it if it costs you know ten dollars to run your workstations without admin rights and and two dollars um, you know if 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 you give admin rights you know you don't save that eight dollars necessarily. Maybe it's uh, you know maybe it only costs you five dollars. I I don't know what the right number is but the point is you you know there are ways to make it easier to run without admin rights and and so you know that's something that you should look at but i think uh you know it's with everything you really have to figure out you know what's right for your organization sure but you know what what i don't understand well there's a lot of things i don't understand but what makes sense to me is okay you need admin rights, fine. But here's your normal account and here's your admin account. Use your normal account 95% of the time. Bop into your admin account when you need to do something that needs admin rights. We don't even do that in most organizations. No, that's true. I, you know, I have, um, I actually have tried that, uh, and it doesn't work very well. <laughs> well, that's because your dog still can't type well. True. That's very true. Um, anyway, there, there, there's there's got to be better ways of dealing with this than just give give everybody who needs it admin rights. I think that's just fraught with peril. Yeah, and and again, I think that's that's what companies like Avecto are intended to try to to help solve, right? Because in, on the one hand, taking them completely away drives up your help desk cost. Now you got if somebody wants to install software, you got to right. you know how are you going to enable that? And, and, and more than help desk cost, it hurts productivity. Right. Exactly. Yeah, but. This is this is one of those old traditional risk versus reward. Which risk are you want to accept in the organization? That's right. Uh, there, there is no risk 
free choice here. You either risk giving people admin rights or you risk not giving them admin rights and having her productivity and everything else that goes along with that and help desk load. And there, there is no perfect answer here. And that's the, that's the key point that I was, uh, I, it didn't come out very well, right? Is that you, you know, everything, all of this, all of information security exists on a continuum. And at the end of the day, you have to try to figure out, you know, okay, am I going to go spend $10 million to save a million dollars? Right. And, and if that's the case, that might not make, that might not make sense. And, and back to my 14%, 86%, maybe that's not the right cut. If you are, you know, if you're using those kinds of numbers, to extrapolate out how much money you're going to lose, my point is, you're you're probably thinking about it wrong. That's that's my point. Well, it's almost like you're taking it at the first time slice of a multi-time slice event. Right. It's that first exploit attempt, but it doesn't mean that's the end of the story. Yeah. Exactly. But, you know, I go back to I still think it's a good idea to take away admin rights as long as people can still do business in some way because it makes it that much harder for the bad guys and for the malware or whatever else. And you've got another point of potential monitoring when they do try to pivot into an admin role. Yeah. Yep. So so here Bob and I had a, we, we had an, a very interesting and heated debate about this particular thing. So here's the deal. If you have a fleet of systems, fleet of workstations, and they're not members of an Active Directory domain. Wait, what? I, I know, I know. Suspend disbelief. Okay, so first of all, this example clearly is, you know, nonsense. It's, hy- it's, it's hypothetical. <laughs> hypothetical, all right. right? So you have, a, tough. you have a non-trivial number of, of, of Windows workstations that are not members of an Active Directory domain. It's excruciatingly difficult to remove admin rights from in that particular scenario. It's not impossible, but it's very difficult. The question is, and this is this is the debate that Bob and I were in, is it better? You know, what, what is the better thing to do? To leave that population of people with admin rights on a, you know, on a kind of quote disconnected workstation, or implement Active Directory, and then remove admin rights, and you know, and and, and it's it's a non-trivial question because when you implement Active Directory, you are enabling attacks that are fundamentally, maybe not impossible, but extremely difficult, or or. Much less likely. How about mm-hmm. so? Um, it's a you know that's a we never we didn't we we fought a little and Bob threw his drink at me and walked out. So we, we didn't really get to a resolution on that. But you know, so is this why we haven't heard from Bob lately? Yeah, is this what happened? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. All right, I'll I'll try to call him and, and broker some peace. Thank you. I mean, he's right, but <laughs> so as soon as you admit that, we can move on. I'm often wrong. <laughs> All right, so uh, moving on to our next story. This one comes from Reuters, and the title is "Hackers Attack 20 Million Accounts on Alibaba's Alibaba's Taobao Shopping Site." This is fascinating 
because someone got a pot of 99 million uh, email address and password combinations from, I guess they they culled from various sources un, unnamed. They they set up a they set up shop on a on a cloud service offered by Alibaba, and they took those 99 million IDs. And they just started pecking at the the Alibaba or the Taobao shopping site, and they found over twenty million. That's like one in five. I can. It is. It's hard for me to wrap my mind. Twenty million accounts. Um, and you know, one of the things it tells me is, holy cow. How do you let that through? I mean, how do you not notice? I don't know. It, you, twenty million logins. I guess probably from, from, or whatever. Point is, no. You're you're on a very good point, which is, how do you not pick up on all the failed login attempts coming from probably a fairly discreet number of IP addresses? Right, right. And by the way, so it's awesome that maybe you have a an account lockout policy that says five you know let you you uh you lock out an account after five failed attempts right that's great but you know the, the there's the the opposite the other side of brute forcing is you just try different accounts right so yeah at that point you need to to time out that ip address yes like five or ten bad login attempts from a certain, certain ip address maybe put in timeout for a minute five minutes at least slow down the ability to rapidly run through a whole bunch of username and passwords. And, you know, maybe, just maybe, after like the 50 millionth failed login attempt from that IP address, maybe it should send an alert to someone. Are you sure? That doesn't sound right. I mean, it seems like 50 million <laughs> failed login attempts might be, you know, a safe threshold. Well, well, we, don't, we don't know how many normal failed login attempts they get every day. Well, you know, but from a single IP or or, or a single net block, you know. Do, do we know? I mean, they could have been on a big cloud service coming at it from a whole bunch of different IPs. We well, know. they were on a cloud service, so we don't really right. know how many IPs. But you know, and if they not got as a funny five, that it's not as funny. It's not as true. But if they got a one in five success, assuming those are statistically spread out in a fairly random way, there may not be that many clusters of fails in a row. Yeah. I still but yeah it it is it is pretty crazy. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> twenty twenty point five nine million. Alibaba system discovered and blocked the vast majority of login attempts. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because they probably had the wrong password. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, by my math, they had they blocked about seventy nine million. In fact, <laughs> <laughs> winners! Yay, we won. Uh, and they did say, interestingly, that one in 20 active Alibaba China retail marketplace accounts were were hacked in this. So, wow. So this, again, goes back to use unique passwords, folks. Get a password manager. Yeah. Change it from time to time, maybe. You know what? One thing, this is heretical to say, right? But one thing that would be cool, th- picture this. What if pass? What if sites you go to gave you your password, and it had you know, and it was unique, and you basically. But, had... but how could I trust them then? Because then they would know my password. 
can log in as me. <laughs> That's true. They might have your password then. You're right. You're absolutely right. You know, then I'd have to... I mean, the rea- the hard core reality is that would drive users away. I, I know. I know. I mean, let's be honest here. The, the, the password policies of the vast majority of e-commerce online sites it's much weaker than they need than they could be or should be because they're making a business decision to make it intentionally uncomplex so that they're not going to scare the users away your grandma would not sign up for amazon uh if she had to have a two-factor off to buy anything and i shouldn't pick on grandmas the average non-technical person yeah my grandma's been gone for a long time so Thanks a lot. Well, she would have Dick. she would have a lot of trouble then using a two-factor authentication, wouldn't she? Yes. Because spirits don't know how to read RSA tokens. They prove that on when ghosts try to log in on the HBO show. Well, it's on Discovery now, isn't it? It comes after when ghosts attack, and then when ghosts DDoS come on after that. So, hmm. point being, they know we we're not dumb, right? We, it's just like credit card fraud. There is an acceptable level of fraud that these organizations are willing to put up with for ease of use for their customers. Oh, you're right. You're right. And until that pain gets to a point where they're going to, they're willing to fight it or their customers demand it, they're not going to change. Which means that we as individuals have to take care of it ourselves. But we won't because that's why we go there in the first place. Well, People like you and I try. Uh, but we are in the vast, vast, vast major, uh, minority. So, Right. Anyway. Anyway, I'm completely ruining your joke, aren't I? Totally. Damn it. Yeah, well, that's what I'm here to do. Next one from CSO Captain, Online. Captain Buzzkill. That's me. Damn it. This, uh, this again, CSO Online, the title is... Where is the title? Defending Against Insider Security Threats Hangs on Trusts. Oh, my God. Oh, oh, you know why? Because there's a stupid banner ad in front of the title. Damn it, CSO! You know, if you were at an ad blocker, you wouldn't have that problem. And speaking of which, I know that this is a big fight going on right now. In fact, Wired even came out and said, you run ad blockers, you're not getting to our stuff, but you can pay us a couple bucks a month. Until... You can absolutely promise me that ad networks aren't being abused to send out malicious content. I'm going to run an ad blocker. No, that's a good point. I run my browser in a VM with uh, wrapped in sandboxy, so I think I'm all right. Oh, thank you, Mr. Fancy Pants. I know. That's why I, I love ads. Anyway, title is, as you said, Defending Against Insider Security Threats Hangs on Trust. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, remarkably. Blah, 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 blah. It's in the title, isn't blah, it? Blah, blah, blah. That's right. It, oh, wow. you, will be, you will be surprised to know that there are two different types of insider threats. One is malicious and the other is accidental. And you can probably extrapolate what each one of those uh, do, right? So the malicious person does things maliciously. And the accidental one does things accidentally right so what you know what what struck me when i read this is beyond the fact that it's painfully obvious is that um, a lot of the attacks these days hijack 
internal they, they basically look like insider threats so a lot of you know a lot of the incidents that i have investigated and i know my friend bob well former friend bob i guess uh investigates temporarily estranged friend bob fair fair enough um you know leverage normal uh, employee credentials and so you know when, when you're when you're investigating like you know well i, I see jerry logged in and stole the database well, again again was was he is he malicious or was he incompetent well it wasn't wow. Wow. <laughs> don't answer that <laughs> don't answer that thank you <laughs> smart ass so incompetently uh, malicious maliciously incompetent there's so many choices yeah and I, I think that i think the the point there is that um i you know certainly in in terms of volume accidental types of of things happen a lot but they tend not to be the major the major breaches right it's those malicious ones and and i would say the malicious you know that it's probably it's it's probably that more that there are two flavors of malicious there's the you know the there's the actual insider doing bad stuff and then there's someone acting on behalf of that person or acting as that person with his or her access and uh, you know it's it's from an investigation standpoint it's it's important to understand how common that is because it at least in my experience it's important to not get too tied up with oh you know we got him you know it was jerry we you know we we sent him home we confiscated his computer and uh and and you know then then high five and go take a breather because that's not necessarily you know you're not necessarily at the end of job and uh, it 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 is i have seen it in the past where you know we have found the suspect and confiscated all their stuff and then uh and then seen you know seen the 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 activity continue just with somebody else's well, that's odd jerry wasn't working in Kuala Lumpur last we looked <laughs> that's right so uh anyhow it's it, just a, a a tip from a incident response perspective yeah you know at the same time you know you have a whole side of this as well where people unwittingly become an insider. Yes, exactly. You know, an insider threat. They act unwittingly fall for a vision campaign and load a keyboard logger and, That's... you know, that it looks like they're the insider doing something malicious, but they're, they're not. Absolutely. So it's... There's also some weird, you know, tree-hugging stuff at the end here about, well... You know, employers have to show that they can be trusted too in disclosing all of their stuff that they're doing to their employees. And uh, okay. yeah, don't. I, I got sick when I read that. Don't read it again. Okay, I'm sorry. I mean, not that I'm saying employers should be evil, but it was weird. It just yeah. The the point just to to tie that out since you brought it up is uh, you know they bas- they're basically saying look you you know you have to trust your employees to some extent, right? Because uh, especially, you know, the, the the ones that are accidental, right? They're they're not intending to be, you know, to, to screw up. Um, but their, their point is that if you, 
if you in the in the area of information security, if you are doing things that are interpreted as or possibly interpreted as underhanded, like you're not telling them that you're reading their email or monitoring what websites they go to or or, or what have you, they may very well feel justified to some extent in um you know in, in some retaliatory action, I suppose. And you know I guess that just kind of goes back to, you know, don't be a dick. <laughs> and, um, you know, because if you're a dick, you're going to, you know, probably take some heat from somebody. This is what happens when we record a podcast when Jerry's too tired because he's just I'm really falling t- off the table here. I'm really tired. So I think we should call this show and get back to recording on Sundays when, you know, we're yeah. still awake. That's right. There is one more one just one quick one. Hmm. Uh, this one this one came from uh, actually a friend of the show, David Longnecker. He uh, he he wanted us or offered it to us to talk about. It's you know it's it's uh, more on the small office home office type end of the spectrum. But I thought it was interesting. Basically, he found that that uh, there's a Asus router uh, where if you if you, if you go in there and, and we all know, hopefully in this industry, we know that you should not expose your management console to the internet, as we have talked about at length. Uh, th- there's an option to turn that off, to not uh, not have it enabled for internet access. Uh, however, if you turn it off, it doesn't actually uh, disable it. You actually also have to turn the firewall on. Nice. Yeah, so, um, you know, it's it, point point being... Don't make assumptions necessarily that you know exactly how things are working, and you should probably do a little bit of independent testing on things that are particularly important like that. So maybe, in this case, scan the outside of your router would be a... So it's almost like trust but verify. Trust but verify, that's right. So, anyhow. Wow. So, just just to summarize, even if you say, don't expose my management port to the WAN, and you turn that off... It's still exposed to the WAN until you, yeah. So, so my um, based on my read, uh, what when you when you check the box that says you know don't allow it for my WAN or don't allow the uh, uh, the web portal access from the WAN, it basically creates a firewall rule, right? But until you turn the firewall on, those firewall rules aren't loaded and enforced. So, you know. It, it, when you think about it in that perspective, it kind of makes sense, but... Yeah. But you should maybe throw a little flag up at a warning. Um, maybe maybe, maybe a little clip, you know, paper clip should come up and say, I see you're trying to turn off your <laughs> WAN interface for your management. Would you like help? That's right. And they could guide you through turning on the fire... No? Yeah, we could call it Clippy or something, right? That's brilliant. Yeah brilliant anyway that is the uh the show i apologize for being so tired it has has been a week so it's only one god it's not even wednesday i told you not to quit the meth you had a lot more energy on the meth that's true anyway uh thank you very much for listening everyone uh pleasure as always thanks to those people who have donated to our patreon campaign and uh can't thank you enough 
If you want to find links to the stories we talked about tonight, go to our website, www.defensivesecurity.org. You can also follow the show and interact with the show on Twitter at DefensiveSec. You can uh, follow Mr. Callen on Twitter at Lurg, me on Twitter at MaliciousLink. You can also send us an email, info at DefensiveSecurity.org. We've actually gotten, I'd say, a spate of emails that I need to go catch up on. We need to do a uh, listener email show, I think. I agree. So maybe next week we'll do yeah. listener email. If you, uh, yeah. So, so there you go. There, there, there is your, your prompt to send us uh, something to talk about. For the record, we are just going to summarize all 374 we suck emails into one. <laughs> That's just right. to save time. That's right. We yes. know. We know we suck. Our parents told us that often and regularly. We know. Yep. Anyway. <laughs> Talk to you again next week. Bye-bye, guys. Bye-bye. You want to know what I'm drinking tonight? Yeah. What are you drinking tonight? Llama Aid. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.